Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Aging life care professionals are educated in human services fields such as social work and nursing and trained to assess, plan, and monitor services for older adults and their families. Advocacy for the older adult is a primary function of aging life care professionals, and selecting the right one is important. Today, my guest is Rebecca Roski Brunner, registered nurse and CEO of Complete Care Strategies. She's going to talk about what to know when selecting an aging life care professional, and she's also going to describe services aging life care professionals provide and how they help family members and caregivers coordinate care needed for loved ones. So welcome, Rebecca, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Okay, well... I talked a little bit already in my intro about aging life care management or managers, but help us understand exactly what the term aging life care means so that we kind of have a context as we do this interview. Aging life care is about taking care of someone as they age. We're all, we're all aging um, from the time we're bored, but aging life care is about as we are getting older and all of the medical complications that arise and all of the social complications that arise, it's about taking care of the full person for the rest of their lives. So I mentioned already, I gave a little bit of an overview of the aging life care professional. I mentioned nursing and social work, but expand on that. Do aging life care professionals have different types of education? Maybe their background, their skills are different. What, what does this profession look like? What are the kinds of people who are likely to um, become aging life care professionals? Sure. So many of the aging life care professionals who are part of ALCA, which is our governing body, we'll say, or our certifying body, um, are social workers. They're licensed social workers. They're registered nurses. We have occupational therapists. We have physical therapists. We have psychotherapists. It's anyone who's really been in a social services field and wants to take care of people as they age and maintain people's quality of life. And will they have had prior background in like gerontology or taking care of older adults? Many of them do. Uh, you know, myself, I was an emergency room nurse for 20 years prior to becoming um, a care manager or aging life care specialist. We have other um, care managers who may have worked in nursing homes or assisted livings who may have been in the field with social services um, for different community I guess, events and things like that. And another factor I'd like to ask you to um, help us understand is the term. I think one of the things that's so hard sometimes is, is that there are so many different types of people now who are working in the aging field. So you told us already about the aging life care professional, but we also hear of Three other terms, and if you could kind of give us a little bit of a definition of those so we understand the difference. There's something called a patient or elder advocate. There's a senior navigator, and there's a senior care advisor. Tell us the difference. and What do each of these folks do? 
Sure. So patient advocates generally work for hospitals. If you're in a hospital and you are having a problem or you don't like the care that you're getting, then you can request an advocate from the hospital. But they work for the hospital. So they are trying to help give you what you want, but still working for the hospital and get reimbursed by the hospital. Senior navigators or nurse navigators generally work for doctors' offices or hospital systems. So, you know, we have mainline health up here. We have nurse navigators for the breast health program or for cancer programs. So they generally work within a system to make sure that you are making your appointments and following up with your appointments. And then senior care advisors are people who work in the community, similar to aging life care managers, but they are getting money from placing individuals in senior communities. So if your grandmother wants to go to a senior community and you see, oh, we can get free placement advice, those people are getting money back from the communities. So in essence, I don't know if it's considered a kickback, but they're getting money back from the communities to pay for them. Whereas care managers or aging life care professionals are getting paid by the families to make the most appropriate choice for the family or the person that we're working for. So we are working for the individual and not for the communities. And just so I understand, as to the aging life care professional, the care that's being discussed, and we're going to talk more about what what you do there, the care could be in the home or in some other setting? A hundred percent. We can help care for someone wherever they are. So Aging life care managers, we also used to be called geriatric care managers, are more of the consultants. We oversee everything. So we can make sure that people are being cared for in a community setting. If they're in a nursing home or in assisted living, we can make sure that they're on the right medications, interface with their doctors, interface with the nurses and all the staff that are in those communities. If they're living at home, we can make sure that they have the appropriate care at home, that they have, you know, if there's trees that need to be cut down, we can help with getting the trees cut down. If there's a plumbing issue, we'll hire a plumber, we'll take them to their doctor's appointments, make all of their doctor's appointments. So we can care or help manage care wherever someone is living. Okay, so it's care in the very broadest sense. And it sounds like a profession in and of itself, in addition to whatever other background and skills or knowledge that they have, is there um, a certain type of certification and credentialing that aging life care professionals have? How often is it, and if so, how often is it renewed? What does that look like? Continuing education, perhaps? Sure. Uh, As part of our certification, we have different levels in the Aging Life Care Association. So there's advanced practitioners, um, and then there are um, different levels. So the advanced practitioners all have been certified as Aging Life Care Specialists. That means that we've been in the field for several years, that we have a degree in, in something that they want, like a registered nurse with a bachelor's degree or a licensed social worker. It's a certified care manager, and you take that test once, and then you recertify every four years by getting your CEUs, by maintaining your CEUs. As nurses, we have to maintain CEUs every two years to renew our license, with the Aging Life Care Association is every four years. Similar to social work, they have to maintain CEUs, and they would have to maintain those every four years, and then every two years 
um, for their own practice and licensure. Okay. And you had just a moment ago uh, before the question that I asked you were telling me about some of the services, but expand on that. And in case we missed it, we'd like to hear that again. Plus, is there some kind of a place, I'm assuming, and I I know I'm going to be asking you about the Aging Life Care Association, but is there some place on the website, perhaps, that people can find out about these services so that they would know whether an aging life care professional was somebody that would be the right person to, um, to work with? So talk about the services first and how I could find more information. Sure. The services for aging life care managers are, are a little bit varied depending on who, which practice you're going with. But for my practice and for many of the practices that I'm aware of throughout the country, we all have a, we start with a comprehensive assessment. So we go in and we evaluate someone and their home and type up a document that has all of the information in it. So it has a narrative in it. We do some mini testing for cognitive and depression health. We take all the information about their history, their medical problems, the medications that they're on, and we compile that into a document. And then we make all of our recommendations after that. If they need, we think a stair lift would be beneficial for them, or if we think they should see a certain type of doctor, or maybe a certain type of medication, so we need to talk to a doctor about a certain type of medication. We make those recommendations. Um, and then there is a pl- after we do the comprehensive assessment, then we go on to hourly care management. So that is when we start taking the, our clients to doctor's appointments or we are helping manage their affairs or finding them home care or finding them a community to live in. So usually it starts with an assessment, and then we move on to hourly care management. And you mentioned before about you do the uh, aging life care managers can work in different settings. At home, maybe there might be less of other people around, but we're going to talk about families in a moment. But say if somebody is in like an extended care or retirement community or whatever, Do aging life care managers work there um, or provide services there? And do they work with other folks that are at those facilities? Or how does that how does that work? Most aging life care professionals don't work for communities. We are either in companies, uh, a company that is a care management company, or some of the care managers are solo practitioners. But we can go into different communities and work with any of our clients in those communities. Some people have multiple clients in certain communities, and some only have one in that community and then may go to another community later that day to see or go to someone's home and take care of someone there. So basically what you're saying is is that it doesn't really matter where the client lives, an aging life care professional can work with that client. A hundred percent. It doesn't matter where someone is. We go to the client. We are like the professional family member for our clients. Many of our clients don't have family or do not have family that are local. So we go to them and make sure that we're giving them everything that they need. We order different things for them. Sometimes we send clients on vacation so we can do as much or as little as a family or a client needs. And that's a good segue into my next question is, what might the factors be that could get the care partners maybe or the families deciding that there is a need for aging life care services? Are there certain circumstances or the condition of the older adults, say, or the, the house or, or what? what? 
what would families and care partners perhaps need to think about in terms of, you know, next steps and, and maybe hiring an aging life care professional? So there's several different reasons why people contact us. Sometimes, you know, some family members haven't seen their mom or dad or their aunt in a while and they go to the house and the house is in disarray and mom's, you know, not looking very good and they don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. Where do we start? How do we get anywhere? That's a great time to call us because we can step in and help, you know, kind of plan out what the next steps are and what we should put into place. Sometimes people are calling us when people are in the hospital already and they don't feel like they're being taken good care of. So we, you know, we don't do an assessment necessarily. Then we just jump in and boots on the ground. We're going in, we're trying to figure out why they're in the hospital, what's going on, what are the next steps, where should we place them? Cause they probably have to go to rehab afterwards, depending on what type of hospitalization it was and what the problems are going to be afterwards. So then we help recommend different rehab communities for them or next steps. Sometimes people don't have any family at all. They are what we call solo agers. So they are, their friends are all aging with them. Their friends are all about their same age and they don't have, they never had children, may never have been married. So they want to plan for their future. They want to know who's going to take care of me or who's going to have my back if I end up in the hospital. So those people, we, they may be healthy. They are living at home alone. They're taking care of themselves, but they want a backup plan. So they call us and we help create a relationship together so that if something does happen down the road, that we can jump in and meet them at the hospital and help advocate for their wishes. So this program is probably being broadcast in all parts of the country. Tell us what the resources are out there that help families find an aging life care professional? Is it just your association, which I'd like to hear more about, or are there other uh, websites that people can look up? Sure. So the Aging Life Care Association or aginglifecare.org is where you can find people all across the country. On the main page in the top right-hand corner, there's an orange button that says, find an aging life care professional. You put in your zip code or whoever zip code that you're trying to find someone by, and a listing of aging life care professionals or care managers will show up. Uh, we also have the retirementlivingsourcebook.com that has information on aging life care professionals. Um, and I think those are the two primary areas where you're going to be able to find information about care managers or aging life care professionals, or you can just do a broad Google search and that may point you in the direction of a care manager, but I think the aginglifecare.org um, is probably your best bet. So what I'm hearing you say is that there are chapters all over the country. So depending on where you live, if you live in Pennsylvania, you try to find out what what chapter is, is local so that you could get in touch with someone there. Is, is that correct? So there are chapters throughout the country, but then there's also a main, a main page. So there's, there are, we have chapters throughout the country, but there are also just different individual companies that you can contact. So if you just look under the Aging Life Care page and look for an Aging Life Care manager, it'll direct you in the right area. If it's Pennsylvania, if it's California, if it's Oregon, or you can, you know, reach out to someone that you know who's used a care manager in the past 
that's part of ALCA, and they can probably refer you to someone in your area. And in addition to helping families, care partners to identify a professional in their area, are there other services that uh, the Aging Life Care Association provides, uh, education, support groups, or, or something else that people should, should know about? There's a plethora of information on the website about what aging care, aging life care is and who the professionals are and what we can provide. I don't think that there's any support groups, but we as care managers can point you in the direction of where there are support groups that can help support you through whatever needs you have. The care managers are, are a plethora of information um, and know their communities very well and the different resources that are available in their communities. Okay, so another question that I had is that um, my assumption, and I believe you are part of it, because when I introduced you, you're the CEO of Complete Care Strategies, which is a, a company, but how can a family know that an aging life care agency or a, an organization that has uh, aging life care uh, professionals is reputable? I mean, nowadays we so worry about how older adults can get taken care of. And nowadays you can put who knows what on the website and and mislead folks. So what can help families be assured that the Aging Life Care Agency or professional is reputable and is going to do what they say they're going to do? Sure. I... A lot of our clients always ask for references. So we have other clients or families who have worked, we've worked with in the past or worked with for years, and we give them their phone numbers or their emails. Those clients, the previous clients have always said, well, we'll vouch for you on your behalf. Um, I wouldn't pay attention necessarily to, you know, random websites that have different information on them because you don't know if that's reputable or not. I would go to the Aging Life Care Association and see who's listed on there and who's credentialed, who's, you know, the different levels that they have. Um, and I would speak with the care manager that's going to be working with you to see if there is a relationship that you can form there and if that person has the same core values that you have or your family member has. So it's kind of also making sure maybe that the chemistry is there, that it's somebody that you feel like you could really be comfortable with in that. Is that true? A hundred percent. I mean, as care managers, we really become family members. You know, my clients are my family. I'm taking care of them and advocating for them just like I would any of my family members. Okay. And you mentioned a little bit earlier in terms of assessment, but let's let's walk through if somebody is listening here and says, wow, this is exactly what I need. Help them understand what the process would be. They look, they go to the Aging Life Care Association website. They find an agency or an individual. Tell us kind of what the process would be to hire an aging uh, life care professional. And also, as as part of that response, is there a fee for an additional consultation? And do you also talk about the fees for services? What does that look like so that families know what to expect? So once you find a phone number or several phone numbers and you contact a care manager, then generally we have a conversation. I ask 
you know, what is going on? What, what is the question that you have or what is the concern that you're having right now? I take a bunch of information and then we discuss it a little bit and we discuss what I think the next step should be. Sometimes it's a big problem. Sometimes it's littler problems. You know, it, it may be that, you know, mom fell and is in the hospital and now she has to be placed somewhere and we don't know what to do. Or it could be that noticing that my mom's getting a little bit more confused, but she's still driving. She still has all these activities um, and she, you know, has never gotten lost. So it, people call us and it runs the gamut of, you know, being very difficult to, you know, pretty simple. We can start working on different things. <clears throat> um, we... Once we start that conversation, then I set it up for the comprehensive assessment. Comprehensive assessment in my company is a flat fee. Every company is a little bit different because there are their own entities. But for us, it is a flat fee. And then we, once the assessment is done, we move on to hourly care management. Um, once we start with the assessment, I am going into someone's house and spending about two hours with them, asking them tons of questions, getting a tour of their home, asking what they find passion in, what they enjoy, what they miss doing, what they would like to do. Do they want to stay in the home? Do they want to move? Do they have any concerns? Do they feel good now? Are they in any pain? Do they like their doctors? Are they looking to switch doctors? So we talk about a multitude of different things to try to get a better idea of who that person is and what they're looking for and and really drilling down on are they having any kind of confusion and are they or are they pretty you know are they doing well and compensating well and able to take care of themselves so we spend a good amount of time with them so we can kind of peel the layers back and really get to the root of the situation. And in terms of the fees, you said it's an hourly rate. Based on the assessment that you do with the, the family and the older adult, then kind of predict what's going to be? Do, you, do they have to sign an agreement? What happens if the agreement is not exactly right and what you predicted or thought about is, is either less or more than what is needed what happens then? I don't predict anything for my company. I can only speak about my company because I, I don't know what other people do. But once we're done with the comprehensive assessment, I only charge for hours that are used. And we break down that hour into 15-minute increments. So if I'm only making a phone call or sending an email, I'm only charging for those 15 minutes. That if I'm picking somebody up and driving them to a doctor's appointment or if they're having surgery that day and I'm taking them to have surgery and waiting them for have surgery and then, you know, informing the family after surgery, then I'm charging for the hours that I've been there. So every company's a little bit different, but we only charge for hours used. So if we're not doing an assessment and we're just jumping into care management, I will charge a retainer for several hours. If we don't use all those hours, then I'll refund that money. This, you know, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. Obviously, we have to make money by working, but I'm also not trying to scheme anyone. We're not, you know, our goal is to take care of that individual and make sure that they're getting the best quality of life. That's why we went into the social services field. That's why I wanted to be a nurse. That's why the social workers want to be social workers, because we care about people and care about making the world a better place for these people so that their voices can be heard.
Well, we're going to take a short break right now. Uh, In the event that you tuned in late and wondering what we're talking about, we're talking about aging life care professionals and the whole concept of aging life care management. And we're talking with Rebecca Roski Brunner, who is a registered nurse, and she's also the CEO of Complete Care Strategies. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are having a great discussion about aging life care management and aging life care professionals. We're talking with Rebecca Roski Brunner, who is a registered nurse and CEO of Complete Care Strategies. So, Rebecca, we talked a lot about hiring an aging life care professional, but I was just wondering if, as a family is looking for the right fit, do you recommend that families interview more than one life care professional candidate if it's possible? I realize that maybe some areas that may not be possible, but to to be sure that on so many levels they're getting the what they need for the for their family? Yeah, I mean, I think it it all depends on the practices that you're looking at. If you've gotten a recommendation for a practice and it's a larger practice, they have several care managers, I think it's okay to go with them and maybe see which care manager may be the best fit for you. I, when people call me, I generally try to put them with who I think would be the best fit, but not all personalities match. Then there are some care managers that are solo practitioners. So they only have one person in the practice that is dealing with all of their clients. So for them, it may be beneficial to talk to another solo practitioner in the area just to see where the care chemistry is. But sometimes you speak to someone, you're like, I know this is my person. This is the person I want to work with. Then that's good. Then then go for it. Nobody's saying you have to be with them forever if after a while the chemistry is not there. There are other, you know, companies generally in certain areas that have multiple care managers. You know, I'm not sure about Montana, how many are in one little area. Um, But I know in Virginia and in Pennsylvania, there are multiple different companies uh, in in the areas. And I would imagine that on the website, yours and and those of your colleagues, um, there's quite a nice bio that gives a background of what your specialty is or specialties and your skills so that people have a a good understanding of, oh, wow, she sounds like somebody, or he, could be a he, uh, that um, is the right person. And so along with that, help listeners uh, know more about the questions to ask. I mean, this is such a new experience sometimes for families. I mean, they're dealing with this emotional crisis, perhaps, with dad or mom, and now they're thinking about having this person who's going to help them. What kinds of questions do you get 
when people interview you and what do you want them to ask you so that you can give them as much information as possible? Uh, you know, I mean, I want them to really know as much as they can. So what services are provided? Are you going to be able to go to the hospital? Or are you going to interface with the hospital if my mom is in the hospital at midnight or at 2 a.m.? Is somebody going to be there or is somebody going to call? How are the fees structured? Is it is it one fee all the time or is there night shift fee if there's an emergency at night or on weekends? How long has your practice been around? How many care managers do you have? If I don't like, you know, Jane, who's the nurse, can I switch to a social worker or something like that? Um, I think those are really the questions that are most important. But other people also have their own own questions. You know, I mean, for me, it's about the quality of life for my clients. And if my client wants to live forever, even though I don't necessarily think that they should live forever, I'm still going to allow them to do that because it's my client's life and it's their choice. Um, so it's about making sure that the company is going to have the clients back and not put their own information above that or their own feelings above that. And in, Rebecca, actually, you bring up a good point. I mean, if, say, the the older adult that you are caring for, you or your colleagues, is it important to have a discussion about end of life of what the expectations are and for the aging life care professional to understand what are the the requirements or needs of the person themselves say versus family and uh, and how do you interact say in an emergency are these all good questions um to confirm yeah these are all great questions i i mean end of life care and end of life, knowing what you want at the end of your life is, is very important. We all have our own desires and our own needs and you want to, we want to make sure that we're abiding by what our clients want and not necessarily what their families want. As long as the client is able to make their own decisions, I want my, my client to have that autonomy and make their decisions because this is their life and I don't want to take that away from them. You mentioned, obviously, that there is a fee. Now, let's talk about that. Now, does Medicare and other insurance pay for uh, aging life care services? Medicare and other insurances do not. Sometimes long-term care insurance will pay for a small portion of the assessment, but I've never had them pay for the whole assessment. Long-term care insurance does pay for home care, which we can help institute, or for the community, if they're moving into an assisted living or a nursing home, it'll help pay for that, or care in the home, but it does not pay for care management. So the expectation would be that if you hired an aging life care professional, it would be self-pay? Is that, is Correct. That, okay. Yes. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's good to know. Now that, let's say that an aging life care professional has been hired, uh, and they have exactly the person that they want. What's, what's your next step? What's the approach for developing the care management plan for a client? Who do you involve? Is it a written piece of paper? Is it on the computer? Is it next to the bedside? Or what do you do to make sure that whatever you're supposed to do or whatever you are hired to do actually gets done? So with that differs from client to client if we have the assessment that we've done and they want and the families want us to institute the assessment that all the recommendations on that assessment then we can do that 
if they hired us for boots on the ground, then we may deal with the crisis that's at hand. Once that resolves, then we have some maintenance or weekly or by, you know, bi-monthly visits. So we visit them every two weeks just to maintain that relationship, make sure nothing else is going on. But then when another crisis occurs, like another hospitalization or another illness or something like that, then obviously our hours will increase because we're dealing with the new crisis and trying to help resolve that once again. Do you then interact with other healthcare providers and services like uh, the physician? Um, because you and I talked before, you worked in the emergency room. Uh, would you be likely to go to the emergency room if, say, your client had to go to the emergency room? Would you now be that person's advocate? And uh, are you then the official uh, spokesperson for that that person, or do they still have uh, like the primary care physician, or maybe they have a specialist because they had certain, you know, cardiac cardiac issues, or or they had a cancer or whatever? How does that work? Who, who's kind of in charge, and who's who's calling the shots? So, unfortunately, doctors don't have time anymore to really be the the main advocate for their clients, right? Your primary is not always talking to your cardiologist, who's not talking to your GI doctor, who's not talking to their neurologist. They just don't have the time. The medical system is broken. It has been for a long time. I don't know how we're going to fix it, but hopefully one day. Um, So generally, we are the constant. We are always with our clients at the primaries and at the cardiologists and at the GI and at the neurologist. So we are the constant that is giving everyone else that information and keeping everyone else on the same page. So we don't, you know, doctors don't have those family conferences anymore like they used to, but we're able to, to provide them all with that information. For some clients, we are the primary contact because they don't have family that's nearby. So if there's an emergency, we're the person who gets that phone call. Sometimes for some different uh, companies, I we do healthcare power of attorney. We do not do financial power of attorney, but we do do healthcare power of attorney. So if our clients don't have somebody and they want us they to be the healthcare power of attorney, then we can take that on. So it, it varies. Sometimes the children still want to be the primary contact, and that's fine. As long as we're all kept in the loop, I want to know what's going on. So we don't want the communication to lack. We want the communication to always be the number one priority because maintaining communication is how we don't let anything lag behind and everyone is fully aware of what's going on. And as part of this process, are you also uh, involved extensively with, say, the family caregiver or other family members and any examples maybe of sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work in terms of, you know, because obviously you as a nurse have the more expertise medically or health-wise, but you also have to be mindful of the caregiver's wishes. The, the First of all, your, your patient, the primary client, but maybe a caregiver, a spouse, or or maybe even somebody from another company or whatever, um, family members, you know, adult children. How does that work? I mean, how, again, do you uh, sort that all out? Yeah, so sometimes we are the spokesperson for the family. Sometimes there are a lot of different families that have 
different family dynamics that may not always work. You know, siblings don't always communicate. Siblings don't always go along. And sometimes you need that mediator. And sometimes we act as that mediator to try to put everyone on the same page or at least inform everyone of what's going on. We at my company are high communicators. After each appointment or each visit with our client, we are informing the family of what's going on, what happened at that appointment, what are the next steps, and where we're going to go from here. So as care managers on a whole, I believe that we're all huge communicators because we are that extension of the family. We want everyone to be on the same page so that nobody feels like they're being left behind or left in the dark. And in the event when you're not present, and uh, do they often call you and ask for assistance? Do they? Do you sometimes find that you're providing assistance to a family care caregiver or a family member as well? That, in terms of an extension of your your services. Lots of times. I mean, lots of times the family is reaching out to us because they're overwhelmed or they're at a loss. Sometimes they just need to vent. Taking care of somebody is really hard, especially somebody that maybe take care of you. It could be your parent that you're now taking care of, but there were they were always the one that were taking care of you as you were growing up. It's a hard shift in dynamics, and it's hard to do it on a regular basis. So yeah, sometimes they just call us to vent. Sometimes they call us to cry. Sometimes they call us because they don't know where to go for you know go to next. And sometimes they they need a break, so they're asking us to get some kind of respite care. So yes, communication with all the family members is is one of the main things that we do. And I imagine it might be even more. Um, necessary, say, if some, again, a client is alone, and they say the adult children are elsewhere in the country or whatever, and they just need an update or a report from you. Is, is that part of the part of your responsibilities as well? Yeah, as I said, we always communicate with, after we see a client, we're always communicating with the families via email or phone call. A lot of families don't live in the same towns or the same states anymore. Some children live on the West Coast and the parents live on the East Coast. The world is, you know, so much bigger now than it was, <laughs> you know, years ago. And having that constant communication and keeping people updated is of utmost important because people still want to feel like they're connected to their families. And. Talk about the usual, and again, I realize that depending on the needs of the the client, the work schedule can vary, but might there be kind of an average way that that aging life care professionals work that, that uh, in terms of a work schedule? And I just wanted to verify again whether if somebody comes in two days a week or whatever it is, and I want to hear more about that, that... In the event that there was an emergency, are you, for a particular client, really on call 24-7 so that, you know, if, say, the person did have to go to the hospital, that you, it is part of your responsibility to, to also go to the hospital and be the advocate? What does that look like in terms of your, your interaction with your clients and their families? So, you know, if our clients have an emergency in the middle of the night, at 
2 a.m. I may not go to the emergency room, but I'm going to be on the phone. It all depends on what the situation is right then. I will be on the phone with the ER. I will be going there first thing in the morning. Sometimes I have gone to the ER at 2 a.m., depending on what the situation is. It, it's all, it all varies, right? Because those people, generally when you go to the ER, you're Things don't happen very quickly. You could be there for about six to eight hours. So I definitely try to interface with the physicians after we get the lab results back, we get the x-rays results and things like that. But um, so it all depends. Definitely if my client's in the hospital, I am definitely there every day because we need to have eyes on the client every day and make sure things are getting done. Unfortunately, hospitals aren't always working at Number one, you know, they're not always doing everything. They're trying to do everything that they can, but things fall through the cracks. The nurses are overwhelmed and overworked. There's not enough staff generally. It's it's very hard. I'm not blaming anyone in particular. It's the whole medical system, as I said. Um, so just having an extra set of eyes on the client and making sure that the client is being treated and getting everything that they need while in the hospital because things do fall through the cracks. Um, as far as a usual work schedule for aging life care professionals, I mean, generally it's office hours, Monday through Friday. That's when doctors are around. That's when, you know, we're taking clients to appointments. That's when clients are generally seen. But have I seen clients on weekends or at night? A hundred percent. Have there been emergencies that happen that don't happen between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m.? all the time. Um, so we are we are the emergency contactor. We are that person that'll show up at the hospital or interface with the doctors at the hospital and the nurses and things like that. And a, a little bit ago, I also heard you talk a little bit about legal aspects that um, there might be something in terms of a uh, representative um, for legal issues. So is it in fact true that a life care professional could serve as a legal advocate for a client or provide assistance? We often hear about guardianship and conservatorship. Um, are there instances where the life care professional can also serve in that capacity? Some different aging life care practices do do guardianships and conservatorships. That is Definitely something that each individual practice decides if they want to do it or not, because those can get very complicated and convoluted at times. Um, but for my own practice, we do co-guardianships for some of our clients, um, but we try not to do guardianships, if at all possible. Um, but that's just my practice. And if that you found or say your colleagues found that a, a guardian or a conservatorship was necessary, can you make referrals then or seek that out that legal services, maybe they also need an elder law attorney or something that you could refer them, um, your client or their family um, to those other professionals to provide those services. Is that correct? A hundred percent. We are always making referrals to different, to lawyers or financial advisors or different community resources. That is one of the things that we do on a, on a daily basis almost, because there are lots of needs out there. Okay. So we've heard you've, you've provided so much information in terms of services and, and, uh, 
what's, what's available and the importance of, 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 of having an aging life care professional. Talk about the, the challenges. What, for you, your colleagues, people across the country who are serving in this capacity, what are the biggest challenges? Because I think, again, if families are interested in hiring one, it'd be helpful for you to share your perspective in terms of the challenges so that maybe those challenges could be lessened and it could be a more harmonious uh, relationship. So what do we need to know about that? I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges for aging life care managers is that people still don't know who we are or what we do. I mean, because we do so many things, um, people are unaware of how we can help families and hospitals, probably because they're too overwhelmed, never referred us. And that is where we can really make a huge impact because hospitals aren't getting reimbursed. If somebody is readmitted within a certain amount of time, we can help prevent that by having people in the home or having people help manage the client's health and life, that helps take away from that readmittance. So just getting our names out there, making sure that, you know, people are communicating with us when we are part of a client's um, team and making it more of a team atmosphere. I think those are really the important things. And I guess I would take that another step. You mentioned about hospitals, but... um... I'm very familiar, uh, in fact, did a, a, a program some months ago about area agencies on aging, which, of course, are all over the country in, in different jurisdictions. Is there a relationship there that area agencies on aging are also likely to, um, especially if there is a staffing issue, but are they likely to, if you see a need, to refer clients that they're seeing to uh, aging life care professionals? That's a hard one. At least in, in my community where we are, I just got a call from someone who received a document from the aging life care that had guardians or not guardians, I'm sorry, care managers and conservatorships and guardians in there. And they had called someone who hasn't been around for five years in our area. And she had moved to South Carolina five years ago, but her name was still in the booklet. So she referred to us. Now, they probably can't update it all the time. They're understaffed too. I mean, everywhere since the pandemic, everyone has been very understaffed. Um, So they have not referred to us in the past. Maybe it's because they are overwhelmed and they haven't been able to. Maybe they don't know who we are or maybe a They just don't know what the next step should be. Um, I did have a conversation with them after I found out that their documents weren't updated and she said that she was going to send it to the right person. Hopefully somebody else will communicate with me and I can get them more up and running and give them a little bit more information about how we can help them. But sometimes when it's a government agency, it is hard to provide them with all the information because there's a lot of different levels to the bureaucracy there. Right. And there's a lots of different situations as well. So right. we're getting close to the end, but I have a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. One is talk about the possible solutions in the event the relationship between the aging life care professional and the client it's just not a good match. It's not working. I don't know if that's happened to you or somebody that you know, but what are the steps that families should take? What, what do you recommend? 
I would recommend, you know, letting the care management, you know, if it's a solo practitioner, letting that person know or letting the manager or the owner, whoever is, know at the company that you're working with. And then asking for referrals to different care managers in the area that maybe they could work with instead. All relationships don't work. I mean, that's just part of reality. Not everyone is going to be the best fit for someone else. Just like your genes don't all fit the same. We all have to find someone in our lives who's going to match us. Um, so yeah, asking for different references or different someone else that can help take over is a good place to start. But having open communication with that care manager and with the company is important because we also need to know what we could have done better or what we, you know, why it's not working. And I assume that there could be, before moving on and suggesting that they look for another aging life care professional, that at least there could be a conversation. What What's going on here? How can we do better? I would assume that that would be a part of the conversation as well, because maybe the problem can be solved. Yeah, 100%. I mean, sometimes it's something that we might not have felt was a big deal, but the families think it's a big deal. And it could be resolved very easy by just, you know, having a different conversation or phrasing things in a different way. You know, one of one of my clients at one point, um, the wife was, the husband was very ill. He had a, a trach and a peg tube and he was on hospice. The wife hated the word hospice. We couldn't say the word hospice in the house. So I just called it nursing care. But if anyone said hospice, she freaked out because she thought it meant that we were condemning him to death. He lived for another six months. He And he had a great quality of life during those six months because we had hospice involved. And we had all those different, you know, he had more, I guess, more care and things like that. But it's just sometimes the little things that need to be tweaked in order to give somebody what they want. Taking that one step further, Rebecca, say some, some situation occurs where the aging life care professional did something that adversely affected the health or well-being of the client, or whether it was interpreted as such, is there legal action then? Does the does your professional association uh, inter uh, become a part of the process? What could happen just in the sense that if something happened, or at least it was perceived that there was, uh, you know, the well being or or the of the person was affected? What happens then? If the family thinks that we did something wrong. I mean, we are mandated reporters. So if I thought that some one of my care managers did something wrong, and then I would have to report that because we're mandated reporters if we think that there's abuse or neglect or anything like that. Um, if the family thinks that we did something wrong, then they should have a conversation with us, and then we could take it to the next steps. You know, I mean, we obviously have, you know, as a company, we have lawyers and things like that, but I would want to try to figure out how we can resolve this um, and figure out, let's get to the nuts and the bolts of the situation. You know, I mean, as care managers, we're not really doing hands-on care for our clients. We are more the consultants and overseeing everything. But if our clients thought that we were neglectful or there was something that was done that wasn't appropriate, then, I, you know, it'd 
definitely have a conversation and figure out what the next steps could be. Okay. Final question. Tell us again, best resources to learn about aging life care management. So aginglifecare.org is a great resource. That's where all of the care managers are a part of. Retirementlivingsourcebook.com is in Virginia and Maryland and Pennsylvania. Uh, That is a plethora of information that has care managers in the different living communities and lots of wonderful articles. Uh, There's also positive aging community that has different articles that can come to your email every day about caregivers and gifts for dad for Father's Day as he's aging and all different information. Um, And dailycaring.com. Those are the ones that I really enjoy. All right. Well, I want to thank Rebecca Roski Brunner, registered nurse and CEO of Complete Care Strategies, for joining me today. Thank you, Rebecca. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Cheryl. It was great. And if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And when you log on, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio programs that we've done, as well as the TV show content. And you can log on to one of the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. So be sure and check out that website. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. You can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. <music>